Welcome everybody to Crystal Kyle and Friends. I know this is a very weird scenario where <laughs> I'm driving and Crystal's next to me. Hi guys. To give everybody a little bit of backstory, earlier this week we talked to Nina Turner and we had a wonderful conversation with her. And um, you're about to see that in a second, but after we talked to Nina, we got some brand new information, which is, you know, directly relevant to her race. We'll get to that in a second. We'll talk about that in a second. And so, um, we have to record it now. We're in New York. We're going to do a, a breaking point show at a studio in New York. So it's, you know, a little special event thingy that we're doing. Um, and so, Crystal, why don't you go ahead and tell them what the news is on Nina Turner and, you know, why we're recording this in a car at a very awkward time. <laughs> yeah, so um, there's two things. There's actually, there's good news and there's bad news. I'll start with the good news, which is that Senator Bernard Sanders has come in to endorse Nina in her race for Congress. As you guys probably know and recall, she ran, this is her second time running for Congress. Um, last time around, she narrowly lost in the Democratic primary in a special election to Chantel Brown, corporate-backed candidate, tons of outside money flooded in from corporate interests, pharmaceutical interests, uh, Trump-backing Republicans. I mean, every sort of like nefarious group you can imagine came in to flood the zone for Chantel Brown, who ends up winning by about six points. So Nina has decided to run again. Um, and there are some reasons to believe this time might be different than the last time. In particular, the district lines are drawn a bit differently and include a more progressive electorate. So that's the backstory. Good news is uh, primaries in early May and Bernie Sanders came in to back Nina, um, which, you know, is expected in one sense because, of course, Nina's been there for him uh, in every way, serving as national co-chair of his campaign, being probably his most effective advocate and surrogate. At the next so, light, turn right. He comes in for her. Excuse us on the directions. The very, <laughs> yes, the very next day, the Congressional Progressive Caucus, led by Pramila Jayapal, endorses against Nina, actively endorses the corporate-backed uh, incumbent, Chantel Brown, who is a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, which show you, shows you how meaningless <laughs> such a thing is, and is also a member of the Blue Dog New Democrat Caucus, the Josh Gottheimer, all those like corporate ghoulish people. Like the very fact that you could be a member of both of those caucuses is absurd. No, it, you can't. It, I mean, it's an I total and utter ideological contradiction. So to say that you're a member of both really means I believe in nothing and I'm only here in Washington, D.C. playing a game. And Chantel Brown, so she's not only, you know, not a progressive. I would argue she's actively conservative. So, for example, she's one of, I think, 18 Go Democrats that the just decided Turn left. we're going to try to throw a wrench into the Iran deal renegotiation. Yeah. Like, she is just a total, complete corporate hack, ladder climber, narcissist. But now back to the Pramila Jayapal thing. Pramila Jayapal is supposed to be the leader of the so-called Congressional Progressive Caucus. These are supposed to be the Democrats who are like more principled and actually care more about the policies. Crystal, I don't know, try to talk me down off the ledge here if you disagree. But when I look at that, the fact of the matter to me is Pramila Jayapal simply is not driven by the things that she pretends to be driven by. Like, oh, I care about Medicare for all. Oh, I care about a $15 minimum wage. No, you don't. Because if you did, you would absolutely back the person who's a, a proven fighter for these things, and he wouldn't back the totally vapid, vacuous, corporate-backed candidate, Chantel Brown, who's been beyond a disaster. And so, uh, look, to me, when I look at this situation, what I see is Pramila Jayapal is ladder climbing. That's what she's doing. Pramila Jayapal is under this fucking delusion that Nancy Pelosi is going to handpick her to be the next Speaker of the House. I got news for you, Pramila Jayapal. It's a foregone conclusion. It's going to be Hakeem Jeffries. They already think of you as an enemy, even though even though Pramila Jayapal is not really an enemy of Pelosi. She's been a terrible, weak leader of the progressives. She's one of the reasons why the progressives at the last minute decided to back off the deal that was originally made on Build Back Better of, look, we'll put the traditional infrastructure right. bill, but the only way you get that is if you also vote for Build Back Better. That's She's right. one of the reasons, oh, we trust Biden. No, we're just going to go ahead and vote for the traditional infrastructure bill. You've been had. You've been took. And there was not a single moment of reckoning on that, Crystal, where they were like, you know what? Uh, the six Democrats or seven Democrats, like AOC and 
Cori Bush and whoever decided to, we're going to stand by the original yeah. video. Nobody ever said, hey, by the way, you guys were objectively correct. You were proven correct. We were wrong. We got we got hoodwinked. Yeah. And in fact, it's the contrary. Um, I know you covered this, Kyle, this week. If anything, they've gone in the direction of saying like, oh, we should have been further and faster. Like That's we right. were too. That's we what Rokana said. Yeah, that came from, from Rokana and I have a feeling we'd get a similar line from Pramila Jayapal. I wanted to read what David Sirota, who has a great piece out at The Lever, really spelling out the betrayal and selling out of the um, left of the party and the, the progressive movement by Pramila Jayapal and the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He tweeted yesterday, let's be clear, this is very likely Pramila Jayapal selling out the entire movement because of her unbridled ambitions to get a fancy but meaningless leadership title among a House Dem caucus that will be obliterated in the midterm elections, a total betrayal on every level. And it's even worse than that because she's not even going to be successful in getting the fancy title, right? Like the corporate wing of the party, it doesn't matter how much you guys suck up to them how many little pats on the head you get from Pelosi or from Ron Klain or for but from Biden himself. They see you as an enemy to be destroyed. That's why the corporate wing of the party went all in to back Chantel Brown and make sure Nina Turner never made it to Congress. And so if you are now just lining up with them, like just drop the label, stop pretending. I wish you'd just be honest about what you are at this point. Yes. You know, the, the other piece that Sirota points to in his piece on at the lever this morning is what you said, Kyle, about build back better and how after the Virginia election results come in and Glenn Youngkin, you know, spanks Democrats, they get all freaked down. Oh, the media starts saying, oh, it's all the left's fault, et cetera, et cetera. And they immediately cave. But even before that, they completely caved and abandoned their principles on the $15 minimum wage. Recall that when Bernie endorsed Joe Biden, the one thing that he got as like an agreement out of Joe was $15 minimum wage. That was the first thing they talked about. The moment there was any resistance to that whatsoever, the Congressional Progressive Caucus, which claimed this was one of their top priorities, immediately abandoned ship. And now it's not even being talked about. I mean, it's like completely fallen out of the national discourse. Something that is would be great for the population, is overwhelmingly popular, is a core progressive principle. So listen, I would say it's a mask off moment, but the truth is the mask has been off for a while now. Um, that. Under Pramila Jayapal's leadership at the beginning, we got some words about, oh, it's gonna be, we're gonna take a more hard line, we're gonna be more organized, we're gonna really focus on, you know, just having true progressives in the caucus. That is all long gone. Um, and clearly, the true goal that she has in mind is whatever her own personal aspirations and individual ambitions are here, and it's a fucking shame. So let's, so, so let me ask you this question, because I really do think it comes down to this. Um, is is the reality in terms of what's going on in her head, what's going on in, in the heads of all these so-called congressional progressives mm -hmm. that, look, I'm an honest actor. I really care about these policies that I, I virtue signal like I care about. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is I'm trying to play the inside game and get the wins that I can. And in order to do that, I have to appease Pelosi and stay on her good side. And this is one of those ways in which I'm appeasing Pelosi to stay on her good side. And ultimately, I'm a sucker because even though, you know, I might think Pelosi is going to give me the speakership position, she's not going to give it to me. Like, that's one possibility. Mm -hmm. The other possibility is they're just fucking in on the game completely. You know what I mean? Like, there really is, it, like, it. it's long gone the idea that I, they really care about the $15 minimum wage and Medicare for all. Because the fact of the matter is, if you really did care about those things, there's no question you would back Nina Turner. It's not a question. Right. Because you have somebody who's a flat-out opponent of those things who you're now endorsing. I mean, guys, they didn't even make the political calculation of, like, I'm just going to stay out of the race because I prefer Nina, but Chantel Brown is already here. They didn't even do that. They are endorsing right. Chantel Brown. So that tells me that really what it all comes down to, particularly for Pramila Jayapal, is I want to climb the ladder of the party. I want to get the big title. You know, I think Pelosi is going to do me favors if I do her favors. And so that's why I'm doing this. But in the process of doing that, what they don't understand, Crystal, is that not a single fucking progressive in the country who even pays a little bit of attention is ever going to trust you again. And they shouldn't trust you again because you keep proving like, yeah, I'm really your ideological enemy. 
I'm really your ideological enemy. And to your point, I think the reason why it hurts so much is because, at least with some of like the Blue Dog Democrats, there's never even any pretending that they're on your side. Right. Here you have the it's like, no, 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 clear. we're with you, we're with you, we're with you. And then they do something like this. Stab you in and the back. There yeah. is no, you can't make some sort of high-minded strategic argument as to know in the long run this actually makes sense for our goals. Because there is not even a, like a fake argument no. in that vein. No. So it's just absolutely pathetic. Look, I, I don't do this often, but I will say everybody should tell, uh, you know, Pramila Jaipal, be respectful and everything, but just tell her how you feel about this. You know, shit. Call her office and say, I'm really let down and heartbroken that you would endorse Nina Turner over, or excuse me, that you would endorse Chantel Brown over Nina Turner. You know, tweet her, say, I can't believe you did this. This is a betrayal. Be respectful. Don't ever under any circumstances do any threats or anything like that. But look, make some noise. Let them know we're fucking watching you. And here we are right now, Crystal, at a time where Joe Biden has a historically low approval rating of 33%. A poll just came out showing that. He is now more unpopular with young people than Trump was with young people at this point in his... In the same exact poll. In the same exact poll. At this point poll. in his presidency, Trump was more popular with young people. So like, now... Unbelievable. Would be, now would be the time where if the progressives were serious... They're like, you know what? Fuck it. Caution to the wind. We're going all in. We'll go to war with the leadership of the party. We're going to block any bill unless Joe Biden breaks out that executive order pen and abolishes student loan debt and legalizes marijuana. This is the path that we need, by the way, not just for the Democratic Party, but also for the entire fucking country. And the strategy that they've chosen and the path that they're going down is literally the exact opposite. Let's cuck ourselves to the establishment. Let's cuck ourselves to Pelosi and Schumer and Biden. Do whatever they want. Watch the poll numbers continue to drop, and then all of us will get shellacked and wiped out across the country. Yeah. To say they are a, the biggest failure I could imagine is an understatement. Well, the last thing that I'll say about this is I also think it really underscores why you should support Nina, which is clearly she has a different attitude and different view about these things. And you know what else? If Nina gets elected into that seat, she doesn't owe a single person a fucking thing. And you know what? Ultimately, that would be such a gift. She wouldn't owe her election to Pramila Jayapal or the Progressive Caucus. She sure as hell knows who the real enemies are in Congress. And so I think this is just another proof point of why she could be a really effective leader and help um, some of the, you know, supposed allies in Congress grow a little bit of backbone and have some strategic savvy about how to use their power in an effective way. She's not going to get confused about like, oh, maybe if I'm nice to Nancy Pelosi, I'm going to get a title for myself. That is not Nina Turner. She will never be that person. I've known her personally for a long time. I think we've all seen how fierce she is and the way that she has held up and stood up even under great pressure. So to me, it's just more proof why we need to back Nina and get her into Congress. And by the way, look, I've always said this. I'm not for purity of character tests. I don't care about what happened in your past. I don't care about edgy, politically incorrect or terrible things you've said in the past. I'm not for purity of character tests. I am for purity of policy tests because you're, if you're telling, there's no argument to say, yeah, you should be able to be a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and, you know, the, the blue dog Democrats at the same time. That's like saying you should be a member of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party in Washington, D.C. at the same time. It, it, it makes no sense. They're not, like, that. Do, ideologically, that's not coherent. That's yeah. not logical. You yeah. can't do that. But you have these people who do it, and they, you know, act like it's fine. It's like, no. And by the way, whenever there's an option, it's always default to they mean the more conservative one because yes. that's how they end up. Of course, there's no one who's like in the new Democrat caucus who's like secretly a real lefty progressive. Right. It's all the other way around. The progressive label, you know, Chantel Brown sees that it was very close between her and Nina last time around. She wanted to shore up her left flank, be able to say, what are you talking about? I'm a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Of course, I'm on the left. Of course, I'm a progressive. Of course, I support the same things. So it was just about her trying to like co-opt a label that is not in any way reflective of her true goals, aspirations, and ideology. Yeah, I, I just, I can't say enough about how pathetic and disappointing Pramila Jayapal is, the rest of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Ro Khanna, who I did, you know, I did the, the downfall of Ro Khanna segment the other day. And you're not like, 
you guys are done. Like you guys, nobody trusts you. you nobody believes you. You blew any credibility you had because very clearly you're all trying to play the inside game and getting fucking hosed in the process. Yeah. Like I just said, if you wanted to try the inside game, okay, fair enough. But then you have to be honest about the results and then adjust course when necessary. And the total implosion of the Build Back Better strategy, like Build Back Better paired with the traditional infrastructure bill, all of you guys folded, then all of you guys lost, and then not a single one of you was like, damn, we really fucked that up, we should have stuck to the original deal. They're saying the opposite, we should have caved sooner. So what that tells people is, this, this strategy is never gonna work. This strategy is never gonna get us to where we need to be. And so, why would you expect anybody to, to trust you and, and, and vote for you? Like, for the love of God, be responsive to the people, be responsive to the base. Nobody gives a fuck if you have a good relationship with Biden or Manchin. Nobody fucking cares. It might feel like it means a lot to you. Oh, how are the kids? All oh, the kids are great. Let's have a backslap and drink a fucking whiskey together. Nobody cares. People don't have health care. They don't have higher wages. They're struggling right now. And you guys are MIA in the actual fight to get it done. And again, that's why I'm such a strong supporter of Nina Turner. Because there's one thing I know for sure about Nina Turner. I always said this. The biggest mistake we made with Justice Democrats was not vetting for leadership qualities. Because on paper, you could say, oh, these people agree with me on all the policies. But that's not enough if they don't know how to get from point A to point B. Yeah. And you need leadership qualities. Like you said before, the thing about Nina Turner that makes her phenomenal is that I have no doubt in my mind. She's a natural born leader and she will do anything that she possibly can in order to get the policies that we want implemented. And Amy Valella too is another great example of this. Amy Valella lost her daughter because of our shitty for-profit healthcare system. So her whole life's mission is to try to get Medicare for all to make sure there's not another situation like that that happens to some other parent. Yeah, and so, you can be damn sure she's not gonna get confused when she gets to Washington yes. about what the real fight is. So these are people who I trust. These are people who've proven themselves over and over. These are people who actually have leadership qualities, not this pathetic, sad, tag-along, insider game, cuck yourself to Nancy Pelosi, then have Nancy Pelosi spit in your eye, and then you bend the knee even further. I have no interest in that whatsoever. To not have the moral clarity to endorse Nina Turner over Chantel Brown is exactly like the people who pretended like, oh, I'm a good progressive, and endorsed Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders right. in 2016. Mm -hmm. You are absolute frauds. You're frauds. It's, you're, you don't understand. We hate you. Like, I genuinely hate you. I felt legit pain when I heard Pramila Jayapal, the Congressional Progressive Caucus, stab Nina Turner in the back. One of the few people who's actually a genuine fighter for the people. Well, we see you, and we know you're not, Pramila, and we know you're not. For anybody else in the Congressional Progressive Caucus who's not doing the right thing. And look, now, I'm a fair guy. I'm not like one of these people who acts like, all oh, the politicians are exactly the same, and the squad is just as bad as fucking, like, Chuck Grassley. Fuck out of here with that garbage. There's plenty of examples of Ilhan Omar standing up and doing the right thing. Just recently, she said, I don't want to sanction all the Russian economy. That's going to hurt Russian civilians. There's a real difference. Cory Bush, who fought the eviction moratorium and went out there and slept on the fucking street in order to do that. So I'm not of the of the group that's like, they're all bad, they're all the same. And I'm not trying to feed that narrative right now. We have to be nuanced, we have to be intelligent. And the fact of the matter is, I'll give credit where it's due, but in this instance, ain't no fucking credit to anybody except Nina Turner, who's standing up against a tsunami and a tidal wave of vitriol and hatred and backstabbing. Yeah, but if she's able to win, this is as clarifying as it comes, and she'll know exactly who the real allies are in Washington. Go donate to Nina Turner. Go support Nina Turner. I'm about to, I'm about to throw my mortgage on her campaign <laughs> because just had a fucking spike because yeah. I can't stand what happened to her. Yeah. So with that, let's go ahead and get to the conversation with the aforementioned Nina Turner. Senator Nina Turner, great to see you, my friend. Good to be here, Crystal and Kyle. All right, so just bring us up to speed. When is the election? How are things looking? What does the political landscape look like from your vantage point? Well, a total disaster in terms of when is the election. The GOP is really, in, in Ohio especially, is really flirting with a constitutional disaster here. The lines have been declared unconstitutional, both the legislative lines and the congressional lines. The Ohio Supreme Court is not taking the congressional lines any further. There has been a lawsuit filed by uh, AG Eric Holder's group against the congressional line. So to make a long, complicated, bizarre, and totally unacceptable story less long, as of this moment, the election for the congressional races and all statewide races in Ohio and judges is still set for May the 3rd. Ballots have already gone out. I've heard from my allies that I am on the ballot, that they've started oh. voting. 
there is still a slight chance that the, the GOP-controlled legislature in Ohio might change the date. And it is, it is definitely going to be two primaries in Ohio, uh, which also is going to upend the electoral process because voters are going to be very confused. On the ground for this campaign, it is palpable, the excitement and the support, I think even a lot more than it was last year. We have ex- we are executing a field first agenda and we started that in the month of February. So we've had people out knocking on doors since February and you know, I'm in Cleveland, Ohio, so you can imagine what the weather is like uh, still in February, but we're pushing really hard. Now, the downside to all of this, besides what the GOP is doing and the voter confusion, is that even though this is a midterm election year, we have competitive statewide races from governor to secretary of state. We have a contested U.S. Senate race. As you both know, Senator Rob Portman is not seeking re-election it is still kind of slow going. A lot of people don't know that there's an election going on for one, and they are totally confused by no fault of their own of actually when any election is going to take place in Ohio. Jeez. I actually didn't know that um, what is the day of the election would be like a tough question starting out. (laughs) I didn't mean it to be a trick question. (laughs) Now, I had read that... um, the perhaps the the way the district is now is actually more favorable to you. Is that is that accurate? That is right, Kyle. If the March second lines that were drawn, if those lines hold, definitely a lot more favorable towards uh, a progressive like me, a real progressive like me, a freedom fighting progressive like me. There are parts now of, of there are cities within the greater Cleveland area that are now in this district who voted overwhelmingly for Senator Bernie Sanders both in 2016 and also in 2020. And so just spell out for people who maybe haven't followed it closely um, what this all looks like. So this is your second time running. The district lines look a little bit differently last time, but it, it's a strong Democratic seat. Likely whoever wins the Democratic primary is going to be the next member of Congress. Um, the incumbent you went up against last time in the Democratic primary, she narrowly defeated you, Congresswoman Chantel Brown. So in addition to the district lines being a bit different and possibly a bit more favorable to a progressive candidate such as yourself, what else do you think is different this time around? I do believe the that people that the suffering is just as I said on the ground is palpable in terms of the support that I have because we are executing a full of a field first uh, agenda. I do believe that the difference that people are feeling in their pocketbooks and in their pockets and in their lives are a lot different too. A lot of voters are being suffocated by this inflation. Uh, by the fact that they don't really see their material conditions changing. This is something that I've been talking about, as you both know, and your viewers and listeners know, for a very long time. I am not new to challenging the entire system when it comes to changing the material conditions for the poor, the working poor, and the barely middle class. And people are really, really feeling that right now. And so my type of fight, my type of leadership is exactly what the people of this district, what they need. And coming to that realization is a very good thing for our campaign. So talk to me a little bit about what you learned from your last run, because I remember following it closely and covering it, that leading up to the election, there were actually a bunch of stories talking about how you had, you know, all these corporate interests and even even big Republican donors were giving to your opponent. <clears throat> and I remember watching this from afar and thinking to myself, oh, they're doing to Nina what they did to Bernie. Like, at ev- throw everything at her at 100 miles an hour and, like, stop at nothing to defeat the person who will bring about real change. So I guess my question is, what did you learn from from the last run? Because now, like, we know as a matter of fact, this is what they do when somebody's running who's actually going to change stuff. So, like, how are we going to navigate that this time around? That is exactly right, Kyle. And I do remember both you and Crystal together and you and Crystal separately really going at this issue because I'm just the conduit. You know, I am one of the leaders in this very strong, robust 
progressive movement. I am just a servant in this movement. And so what the they try to do, the status quo forces that don't want to see the type of change that we are talking about and the type of change that needs to happen so that more people can live a good life, they bump up against leaders like myself or leaders like Senator Bernie Sanders. So when you called that, you you were exactly right. They believe if they can take out someone like me, then they want to douse the dreams and the hopes and the fight, though, more importantly, the fight of this movement. And yeah, they, they threw everything at me from, you know, the angry black woman trope, which we know is used against black women time and time again for generations. And especially if you are a darker skinned black woman, it is more likely to stick to you a little harder than it would for, you know, a black woman who is not necessarily of my hue. But let me be, I want to just emphasize that all black women catch some type of hell based on race and gender. Now, everything is not based on race and gender, but certainly when you throw the angry black woman trope out there. And guess what? I am mad as hell. I want everybody to know it. (laughs) I am mad that people can't afford their food. They can't afford gas. They can't afford their health care. I was just in the drugstore just just a couple of days ago and a, and a lady in, in my neighborhood, of course, and a, and a lady recognized me and she said, you know, Senator Turner, I hope you win this time. I just want to tell you that I had, I, she said, I thought I was going to be able to retire, but I cannot retire. I'm too young to receive Medicare right now, but I can't retire because I have enough time to retire, but I can't retire because my health benefits and that of my husband will not be fully paid for. And right now my husband's health benefits cost a thousand dollars a month. Mm -hmm. So when I raise hell, you know, I'm a hell raising humanitarian in a way that says, hello, somebody, people need service. They don't need empty promises. They don't need somebody just signing on to Medicare for all. And they're not really going to fight. They're not really going to fight the healthcare industry to make sure that it happens. They're not going to take any risk. They just want to sign up so that that way they can say when they're running against somebody like me or somebody else that's progressive, hey, I'm for Medicare for all, too. There is a big difference between voting the right way and fighting the right way, being a fighter in this and willing them take a risk to upset and upend the status quo. And that is exactly what I am doing. That is exactly what I have done. And even though I am not actively elected. I have continued year after year to put the requisite emotion and the requisite fight behind what we need the most in this country. And that is to change the material conditions of the poor, the working poor, and the barely middle class. I am side by side with union workers, both in my district and across the country, as they try to unionize. And for those who are fighting right now because they're in unions for better wages, work conditions, and benefits, there is a clear difference between myself and my opponent in this race. I would submit that there are probably a lot of people who could benefit from having an angry black woman out there fighting on their behalf. So (laughs) maybe they didn't mean it as praise, but uh, it could be used in that way. You know, I definitely, it's really interesting watching all of this unfold. Are they using the same playbook that they did last time? I know last time there were some choice comments you'd made about, you know, then candidate Biden that were certainly weaponized against you. Good ones. And I wonder if that I wonder if that ultimately sticks quite as effectively this time around because certainly his approval rating has fallen off. There's mm. a lot of disappointment even among the base in promises that he made on the campaign trail that are wholly within his power to deliver on without even talking about Manchin or the parliamentarian or the Republicans or any of that, that he just has failed to push forward on. Student loan debt, I know you've been a huge advocate for eliminating student loan debt, something that President Biden could do with the stroke of a pen, decriminalizing marijuana use, again, something he could do with the stroke of a pen. So I wonder if you feel like those critical comments you had made of about Biden have quite the same traction that they did the first time around. Yeah, I don't think they do, Crystal. And I just want to put a finer point in what you just said. My critique was of the two systems, neoliberalism and neofascism. That that was it. And if we've come to a stage in this country, to a point in this country where people who hold elected office, and that's myself included, cannot be critiqued for the policies that they push or they don't push, we are really in trouble. This is a representative democracy for a reason. And that means that those who have the uh, those who get the opportunity to represent 
should clearly represent the interests of the people. And so I will not relent on my critique of neo-fascism and neoliberalism. Neo-fascism will kill us a lot quicker. That is why Mr. Donald J. Trump had to go. But neoliberalism is a slow, steady death. And we cannot stomach either one. So the other point that you're making, Crystal, about canceling student debt, I want to shout out the Debt Collective, who was just in D.C. You know, about a week ago, I was there with them. I'm so happy to be by their side. And the reason why I was, why I was invited to speak there is because I'm not a Johnny or Jill come lately to this issue. I'm out there pushing just along them being a very strong ally. Yes, the president with a stroke of a pen could relieve 45 plus million people and their closest friends and and frenemies and family members from student debt. Because if you have somebody that has that kind of student debt, you best believe that they got some people who love them, who are feeling the brunt of that student debt. That is both a class and a cash relief. And what I mean by that is that all poorer people, working class people, or even middle class people would receive some relief. And then because black women hold the largest amount of student debt, you know, in this country, it would have a racial justice component to it and help to shrink the racial wealth gap in this country. Just one of many things where we could get many bites of the apple in a very beautiful, directly felt way. So why not do that? Let's go ahead and do this. And if the Democrats were to deliver for people in this country, they wouldn't have to worry about the Republicans who have wholly lost their minds all over the country, especially on the state and federal levels. What they deliver would speak for itself. So I'm a hell-raising humanitarian. Uh, Kyle and Crystal, you both know that. I know the people who listen to your show and watch you both know that as well. I'm going to stand up for what is right, just and good, even if it causes me some discomfort, which it has uh, to Kyle's earlier question. Yeah, they came at Sister Turner with everything that they had. That race during the special election was really about me. Had I not been in that race, the forces that came in here would not have come in here in that way. They were deliberate. And and you know what, Kyle? It wasn't just Republican money. It was Trump Republican money. Mm. The owner of the Patriots, uh, who's a staunch Trump supporter, uh, donated to my opponent. Uh, We have some research, some data out there that says that between 5,000 and 8,000 Republicans actually crossed over in the special election. And that is greater than her margin of victory. So I just want Democrats to understand this. Not just any Republican, for those Democratic diehards, Trump Republicans entered this race. And between 5,000 and 8,000 Republicans voted in the primary. Why? To the point that Crystal made in that special election last year, which was the only election going on at the time, Republicans knew that they were not going to win with their Republican candidate. So why not dip on over into the Democratic primary? I just believe that Democrats and democratically leaning independents should actually decide who wins the Democratic primary and not a Republican. And my last point to that point, as much as they tried to paint me as not a loyal Democrat, I wonder how the loyal Democrats feel about the fact that Republicans actually decided the election and that Trump Republicans actually gave money to the person who holds the office right now. They came in for the same reason that they were trying to stop Senator Bernie Sanders, is they know that I am going to continue to fight like heaven and hell to change systems in this country that get the material conditions changed of the poor, the working poor, and the barely middle class. Well, to your point, your opponent who ended up winning last time, I just saw... um I just saw something on this the other day that she is one of just a handful of Democrats who are throwing a wrench in the bringing back of the Iran nuclear agreement. 18 of them, Kyle. Oh, really? Right. So I just I find it. And this is why that criticism of you over the Biden comments was so dishonest, because, again, the, the underlying implication was like, look, you're not a good, loyal Democrat when really effectively your criticism boils down to you guys should start acting like what an ideal Democrat would be. You should actually abide by these principles of equality, justice, fairness. You should care about things like abolishing student loan debt or universal health care, higher wages and all that stuff. So your criticism of them is, hey, you guys should actually do the right thing. But they spin it as if like you're not being loyal. And then she (laughs) destroys the Iran nuclear agreement and she takes money from, you know, Republican donors. And basically, look, it, it comes down to this. When you are actually going to fight and make change for the better, 
that's when you see this unholy alliance in a sense of like elitist neoliberal corporate interests and, you know, far right interests. And they will unite to defeat somebody who's actually going to bring about change in social oh, democracy. Yeah. And that's what we saw unfolding last time. Yeah. And they did that to India Walton, too. I'm old oh. enough to remember what happened to India Walton, yeah. too. Right. And the difference between her race and mine. I mean, she actually won her primary. But those forces that we're talking about right now united to defeat her in the general. She did not run in the general election against a Republican. She ran in the general election against another Democrat, although she won the Democratic primary. Imagine if a progressive candidate had done that. They would still be crying uh, bloody murder uh, right now had, had we done that on, on our side. So it is you know, people have to think about, and, and that's why I am for real campaign finance reform, because I, I I believe, I'm old fashioned like this, but I believe that the people who live in those communities should make the decisions about who they want to represent them. There's one thing for money to come in in support of a candidate. That's that's one thing. There's another thing for money to come in to try to destroy a candidate. I do believe that you should do everything to win and not anything to win. And if we look at the pattern of the status quo corporatist type Democrats who form a holy alliance or uh, unholy alliance with, uh, with, with Republicans to try to defeat freedom fighting uh, Democrats. That happens. It's happening all over the country. That should not be the case. So we need campaign finance reform. For sure, we must have campaign finance reform. And we have to have elected leaders who are going to do everything that they can to protect the fundamental right of voting. And where my party has failed gravely is that, you know, they get out there for, for Congress and for the presidency. But I can tell you, as somebody that served in Ohio Senate and watching legislatures all over this country be, be dominated by Republicans who don't really give a damn about anybody or anything, it hurts anything that we're trying to work for that would uplift the people who need it most in this country. So long story less long on this point, we cannot afford to only care about the Congress and the presidency. We have to make the requisite investments to protect legislatures all over this country because that is where the most concentrated harm is being done. My state is just one example of that. So from don't say gay bill to, you know, to using uh, critical race theory as a way to just flat out not teach black history at all anymore in this country to eroding women's reproductive rights, you know, which is health, which is a health care right in this country. You name it. Republicans are doing it. So we cannot create a more perfect union when the Republicans control the overwhelming number of the legislative seats. So I just wanted to throw that out there, Kyle and, and Crystal. Yeah. Uh, this is not just about me running and me getting to Congress. It is what are the types of people that we can elect all at every level of government who have the heart for and the fight for the people who are willing to bump up against a system that will do everything to bump them back. I think that matters a lot. And I'm glad you brought up India Walton, too, because you know, I know on the left, we're all pretty tired of moral victories at this point, but yeah. I don't think it's an accident that you have India Walton's successful campaign for mayor in Buffalo, um, and she comes out of the union movement. She's a union organizer, an activist in her own right, and you have this, you know, grassroots organization and campaign built up around her. I don't think it's an accident that quickly following on the heels of that, you have the first ever successful Starbucks unionization campaign there in Buffalo that kicks off That's a national right. firestorm. I also don't think it's an accident that you have, you know, Senator Sanders in 2016 and again in 2020 helping to change the consciousness of young Americans in particular, but of all Americans about the rights of labor and the rigged system by the millionaires and the billionaires. And that now you have, for the first time in my lifetime, the union movement starting to turn a corner and workers starting to organize and Christian Smalls at ALU saying, you know what, we're not going to yes. quit our jobs anymore. We're going to stay here and make these good jobs. We're going to organize now. So, you know, I know there's a lot of kind of apathy and disappointment on the left right now regarding electoral politics. And I'd be curious if that's your experience as well. There's disappointment that they, we weren't able to get across the finish line with Bernie Sanders. There's disappointment in some of the actions of the elected leaders that did make it into Congress. But you can see in some of these fights the way that they build each on each other and the way that even the running of the campaign and having a serious project to raise the consciousness of your friends and your family and your community really does have a positive impact on society. 
That's right. That Those are the glimmers of hope. And what I would say to this movement or anybody that's conscious minded about the things that we're fighting for, whether it's Medicare for all or lowering the cost of prescription drugs or making sure that people can unionize without fear of retribution and that ultimate retribution being in losing their jobs. Well, that what we can take is that that the 21st century version of the progressive movement is in full effect. And we should not measure every victory by electoral politics. Certainly that is part of it. Because we must have the power to be able to make the change. I am not naive to that. When I say any blue don't, won't do, I mean that. We do have to win some races. But we are, Crystal, as you laid out, winning in so many other ways. And that is building. Because Senator Sanders was the spark. We are the fire. Baby, I know I'm the fire. Mm-hmm. We are the fire to this movement. And for every other task that we take up, re- that we take up and there's a reckoning and that and, and we see some wins, all of that is part of, of the whole. And so, yeah, what Christian Small is doing, you know, there are Starbucks right here in my city, uh, whether it's Cliff, Clifton Avenue or West 6th Street or the, the one in, in uh, Maple Heights, or excuse me, not Maple Heights, uh, uh, Mayfield Road in, in Cleveland Heights, just all of the various Starbucks right here in the greater Cleveland area, all of those wins and attempts to give people so much courage. What happened in Staten Island probably you know, is, is owed to what they were able to do in Bessemer, Alabama. Even though they didn't come with the brass ring, it was just one more step in the white right direction and one more move to motivate people to keep on fighting. So it's the combination of all of these things that I believe that the progressive movement should look at as we critique and, and, and judge ourselves and not get caught up in what the mainstream media has to say about this movement. Because the overwhelming majority of the American people are right where this movement is. They might not, Crystal, and they might not, Kyle, call themselves progressives. If we take the label off and you just talk to people about, is your health care enough? Is it serving you? Are you making enough money on your job? Would you like to see things change in this society that gives you more than a fighting chance to live out your greatest greatness. Most people, no matter how they identify politically, are going to say, yeah, I would like to see more done. That unionist movement is an example of that. You got people who were probably Bernie Kratz, Clintonites, Trumpites, you know, Green Party, No Party, all uniting based on what they had in common. And what they had in common was a drive and a determination to say, we deserve more. We deserve better. We're going to put our political ideology on the side and fight like hell to get that better. And that's benefits, that's wages, and that's work conditions. They are, this is the roadmap that the progressive movement needs to use so that we keep on fighting. We cannot get weary in well-doing. Well, I think your point about Bessemer leading to Staten Island is actually really important. And we know that Chris Smalls and Derek Palmer and their team went down to Bessemer to see what they they could learn from that fight. They didn't watch the defeat of that. And by the way, Amazon cheated and there was a redo and the results of that are still ongoing. So they may have actually pulled it off the second time around. There's still some hope there. But they didn't look at that initial defeat and say, ah, unionization, it just doesn't work. Forget about it. Instead, they said, "Okay, what did they do that didn't land, that didn't work, that we think we can improve upon for our own movement and for our own union drive on Staten Island? And so they took those learnings and they pushed the ball forward. And now you have a spark that, you know, again, has ignited across the country with the latest that he said is they've had 100 (laughs) Amazon buildings across the nation reach out to them about organizing. I mean, That is the revolution and these things build on each other because I would submit if we had had that type of strength in the labor movement when Senator Sanders was running in 16 and in 20, I think we would have had a very different result ultimately. So Senator Sanders helps to spark, you know, resurgence in the labor movement, interest in it, especially awareness among young people that helps to build a movement. That movement will help support the next candidate who has labor's interests and the interests of working class people truly at heart. Well, as they say in the black church, when the preacher gives a good sermon, Crystal, amen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, amidst all the nihilism, the point that both you guys just brought to my mind now, which I never thought of before, is that um, it actually doesn't take much to get people going again. You know what I mean? And sometimes it's unexpected as to where it comes from. That's right. But um, yeah, whenever you start, you know, notching little victories here and there. It's like victories beget more victories. 
And then right. next thing you know, you're off to the races. So, I mean, look, I'm sympathetic on the one hand to those who have almost conceded to the nihilism because I get where that urge comes from and everybody on their worst days feels oh, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. But then on the other hand, you know, and I, I know I make this corny analogy all the time and people want me to shut up making it, but it it actually matters to me. I think of like Michael Jordan playing a game with the flu, you know, and that was like one of his most legendary performances. Tiger Woods winning the US Open on a broken leg. The greats, push through despite the odds and in fact they almost look at everything being biased against them as yet another good reason to shine and try even harder and so that i feel like that energy needs to be something fully embraced by the left as opposed to defeatism and nihilism you stare in the eyes you know whatever the mountain is that you're trying to climb and you're like mountains don't have eyes but but he's there at them and you're like i'm I'm gonna do this like we're gonna do this and we're not gonna stop at anything until we actually win that's it, Kyle. And that's one of the reasons why I am running again. That is exactly it. And, you know, what the the forces against what we're trying to do, they want people to lose hope. Yep. They want people to get so discouraged and frustrated that they throw up their hands and say, I'm not going to try anymore. That is what they want. And we cannot give them what they want because they understand what we need to understand even on our worst day, that when conscious minded people from all walks of life unite, Maybe there is no force on this earth more powerful than that. And so we must keep pushing through our anger, through our disappointment, through resentment. And even if we're right about some of these things, which we are right about most of the things uh, in, in, in the case of trying to fight for what is just right and good, we still must keep going because the, it, to stop means nothing will ever change. And the status quo corporatist types in this country who do not believe that everyday ordinary people deserve to live a good life. They revel in the fact they want this movement to, to feel defeated and to stop. And, and, and that's why we can't let it stop. And that's why they come after candidates like me so hard. That's why they came after India Walton so hard. That's why they came after Senator Bernie Sanders so hard because us and so many others that I've not named right now, uh, we, we, we shine hope. And when, when, as the human spirit, as long as we got hope, baby, we keep on going. Well, if you're in touch with India, please tell her. I hope she runs again, too. Um, and I know oh, she'll stay yeah. engaged because I know she has an activist heart, but I really think she has a lot to offer as well. Um, I would love for you to elaborate on some of what you were saying before about what you were just hearing from the people in your district about what their lives are like and the struggles yeah. that they're facing and what their top priorities and concerns are. Because, you know, I hear these mixed messages coming out from Biden and his allies here in D.C., where they're trying to persuade people that the economy is actually good and they uh-huh. just don't get it. You know, like you just don't get it how go- great the economy actually is when, of course, people are having their own very direct experience with what it's like to try to pay the bills um, each month. So what are you hearing folks from folks about what their realities are, what their priorities are, how they feel about um, the Democrats in power and whether or not they've delivered for them? Yeah, Chris, people got to get out of the bubble. You know, I get the instinct to want to just cheerlead, but the times are too, the suffering is too great for us just to cheerlead and all is not well. There is a crisis in the nation. Hell, there's a crisis in the world, but let us just stick with the nation for this particular conversation. You know, there was a house party that I attended in a community, the Huff community in Cleveland. And the Huff community is historic. There was Huff riots, you know, in the late 60s, just like there were riots all over this country. Uh, in the 60s, race riots, uh, black folks uh, really fighting against the system and, and, and not the ones to start these riots either. And that's an interview for another time. But I bring up the historic Huff neighborhood. It's one of the poorest communities in the city of Cleveland. Cleveland is the poorest city of its size in the United States of America. Mm. But during that house party, as I was talking about the signature issues that I am fighting for and that I will continue to fight for in the halls of Congress, uh, canceling student debt certainly came up. And as I was leaving, an elder pulled me to the side and she said, Senator Turner, now don't forget about people like me. And what she meant by that, what she said to me is I am 74 years old and I still have student debt. Wow. Can you, I mean, that stopped me in my tracks. Can you imagine? And guess what? There are many more elders just like her all across the country, 74 years old, when they should be living their best life and when they're going through so much and she's still paying off student debt. Now, Crystal and Kyle, that to me is immoral. 
it is absolutely immoral. And the fact that even some elders, if they're not paying on their student debt, they could have their social security snatched. Mm. That is a policy decision. And we can make new decisions by making different policies. Not only do I want to see student debt canceled, I want an entirely reimagine an entire, I want us to entirely reimagine the system of education in the United States of America so that we're not revisiting this again. I, I just saw maybe two weeks ago now, Senator Warren, by way of example, put up a tweet about student debt. And there are lots of people like Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. You know, all, all the squad members and, and certain progressives are really hammering home, cancel student debt, cancel student debt. But Senator Warren, she she wrote something to the tune of she could remember when it was $50, a, a, you know, that it was just $50 a semester or a course or something like that to, to pay for classes. So this is not something foreign to what used to be in this country. And I've talked to many elders who remember a time where college, for example, was was either almost free. It was very, very, very affordable. It is not that now. So just because it is that way today doesn't mean that it has to be that way tomorrow. We can change things. On the food front, the Cleveland Food Bank, there was an article came out about a month and a half ago now where the person in charge of uh, uh, the person at the food bank who's in charge of purchasing the food made it known that a case of green beans that used to cost, I think it was nine dollars, now costs $19, something around there. So as you can see, the very entity that provides food for people who don't have enough food, their costs have gone up to even provide food for a community that needs even more of it. So what we must do is bump up against those forces, the, 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 predatory, the predatory capitalism, the excessive greed in this country that is hurting people's ability just even to survive. Before we can even get to thrive, we got to survive. So I hear a lot about jobs. There are Sherwood-Williams workers, by example, who were on strike. Meanwhile, we're building a shiny Sherwood-Williams, it's a paint company, headquarters in downtown Cleveland. Now, I don't begrudge the shiny headquarters in my city. Hooray. Beautiful. But what I do not, cannot stand is to have a shiny headquarters in downtown Cleveland, and then you got Sherwin-Williams workers on strike for better benefits, wages, and work conditions. What gives? Why can't we have both of those things? Mm. Why can't we? We can. And people got to make a demand. So while my opponent is there, you know, shoveling the ground that the headquarters is going to be built on, I'm standing side by side with the workers. Mm. Yeah, that you know, all right there. yeah, Nina, this, see, this is why I, you know, I support you and I always have and I always will because when we've had these conversations before in regards to eliminating student loan debt and uh, I've been, I've very publicly called for, it. okay, if Biden's not going to do it on his own volition, you make him do it. And the way you make him do it is you get a group of like 12 uh, members of the Congressional Progressive Caucus who actually mean it. And you go have a meeting with Biden and you say, you know what, if you don't do this, we're just going to block everything you try to get through. So that's it. You're never going to get anything through ever again. Uh, And then if you give him a list of 10, 15 executive orders, oh, he'll make a deal with you. Now, maybe you only get six or seven of those executive orders, but you're going to get something. And, you know, I think what's been so frustrating for people is watching just more of the virtue signaling as opposed to the action uh, part of it. And I know I have no doubt that you're a leader. You're a natural born leader. And you're all about the action. You're going to find a way, even if that way is a very narrow path, you're going to find a way to do it, which is why I support you. I'll always support you. So just tell everybody how they can, you know, donate to your campaign and help your campaign out. Thank you so much. And I will always try to find a way and I will work with anybody, Satan himself or Satan herself. (laughs) <laughs> We're going to make a deal about providing some relief to the to the people. That is what this is all about. Sometimes you do got to sit across the table from people you wouldn't ordinarily to get something done for the people, not for your individual, uh, you know, your individual uplift, but for the uplift of the people who are suffering. Uh, people can find me at NinaTurner.com. That's my website, NinaTurner.com. And on social media, Twitter at Nina Turner, the gram, Nina Turner, Ohio, Facebook, Nina Turner, Ohio and TikTok, Nina Turner, Ohio. So please join us in this justice journey, in this fight. We need you. We can really win this race this time. They are coming at me, you know, with the guns blazing. They can't quite do exactly what they did last time because there are too many races going on, but certain forces have made it clear that they do not want to see someone like me in Congress. And I believe that there are more people that that believe that you're that they're being elected, that being elected to office should mean 
people that you serve and that you're willing to fight like heaven and hell to be that kind of change, we can get some things done. So I look forward to being in partnership with so many people, with some of the leaders in that Congress who I do believe, uh, I, I do believe, Crystal and Kyle, who, who want done. Um, to take a quote from one of my dear friends, <laughs> Rosario Dawson, she said this in 2016 when we were out campaigning for Senator Sanders to a group of people who had became, who, who had begun to feel they saw what the status quo Dems were trying to do to our campaign. And she said, I'm here to encourage your courage. I am going to Congress to fight for my people, to fight to change their material conditions. I'm also going there to quote my dear friend to encourage some people's courage. Love that. Way, beautiful way to end it. And guys, um, Nina really needs your support here. It is the home stretch. She has all sorts of forces arrayed against her and could be That's right. a tremendous force for change and for good in this Congress. So, Senator Nina Turner, it is always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I love you both. And just keep giving them hell. Right back at you. Feeling is mutual. All right. So, that's uh, the wonderful Senator Nina Turner. Yeah. You know, it, it occurred to me at the end there as we were talking. Like the the defeatism and the nihilism has consequences, yeah. and one of those consequences is that when the real deal Holyfield comes around, um, people might be too jaded and too cynical to get involved. Yeah, you know, and it's one thing to ride the wave of a national figure who's leading us, and so then it's easier for everybody to get involved and feel like they want to really be part of something. It's a lot more difficult when you truly are a leader, but you're running for Congress because you know congressional races are definitely more localized. They don't get as much national media attention, and um. Yeah, so I, everybody needs to, if you can, go help her campaign, if you can volunteer, or, or if you can donate to her campaign, because, yeah, it's tougher when there's no national unifying figure, and, you know, this is her second race, so you could even have people being nihilistic and defeatist in the sense of, like, oh, well, she already lost, why would it be any different this time? It's like, well, ask Cori Bush that question. Right. Because she lost, and then she won. And well, so you keep trying until you win, that's yeah, how it works. And uh, Cori Bush was up against someone much more entrenched. That's right. Um, to my knowledge, the district lines didn't change as far as I know in that race. So Nina has some advantages in right. that this is Chantel Brown's first uh, term in Congress. So she's not this longtime entrenched incumbent. And the district lines have moved in a way that um, should be favorable. And it was pretty close last time around. You know, I also uh, and I, do, I don't think that Nina would mind me sharing this because she alluded to it in our conversation just now. She said on the ground, it feels different from last time. That the national energy um, is not quite the same as it was last time around because I think you do have this kind of apathy on the left, and I think we can see that online. But on the ground, it feels like there is more traction for her message. You know, just the blocking and tackling of running a congressional campaign, she learned a lot from the first time around and how to improve on that operation and how to have this more grassroots on the ground um, organizing campaign. So there's a lot to be hopeful about. And I have to tell you, I mean, you know, I've certainly think all of us have at times slipped into that same sort of nihilistic mindset. But I don't know how you cannot be hopeful when you see what these workers are doing across the country. And these things really do fuel each other and feed on each other and create a virtuous cycle so that you can get out of just, you know, for so long, it's been one defeat after another defeat. And you just feel like this thing is so stacked against you. But let me tell you, if Amazon Labor Union, Chris Smalls, and those guys can go up against Amazon, like this gigantic behemoth corporation and their millions of dollars in anti-union campaign that they spent. If they can go up against that and win, then we can get this done. We can get Nina Turner in Congress. We can start move the, moving the ball forward on electoral politics as well. I mean, she she needs to be there. That's I mean, she's Nina Turner. She's the such a leader and such an inspiration. Yeah. I mean, people would go to a Bernie rally and they would be more impressed with Nina's opening speech than they were with Bernie's speech. Ah, oh, she's you I know mean, she's so if, if there's any justice in the world, even like 0.01 percent justice <laughs> in the world, she will eventually get there because I mean she's she's what's needed. She's the type of you know firebrand who's actually trying to make the world a better place that's needed. It's just a shame that you know the way the system works. It's like well you got all the money in the world and all the support in the world for. Uh, you know, a genuinely nefarious force of status quo protection. Yeah. You know, it's basically like like the corporate Democrats are just a status quo protection racket. That's what they are. And so that's why uh, you had all the levers of power, uh, you know, shifted in order to help Chantel Brown last time. But look, they could only do the tricks 
so much. You know, it's like with when you think of Bernie, if Bernie was like 10 years younger when he made his first run, <laughs> eventually he probably would, would break through. Yeah, because it'd be a, a third time he runs or something. Because, yeah, you, you see that it took all the king's horses and all the king's men in 2020 to really get him. You know, they needed to the last minute Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar had to drop out and it, it took everything. They had to throw everything at him in order in order to hold back the wave. This is also definitely a different moment than when she was running in the special election. Of course, yeah. Last time. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know whether it's a better or worse moment for her, but there are some reasons to make the case that it's a better moment. Because at that time, you know, everybody's really super rah-rah Democrats and let's go Joe Biden. And it became this test of like, and who's going to be more loyal to Joe Biden? And now... Now the bloom is off that rose. Yep. You know, people are, even people who are still going to be loyal Democrats and they're still going to show up and they're still going to vote blue no matter who when it ultimately comes down to it, they feel very disappointed. You know, I was thinking about, um, actually, we watched that interview of uh, Charlemagne with Pete Buttigieg. Mm-hmm. And Charlemagne confronted him with, you know, a lot of black folks feel very disappointed in the Democratic Party and like you never keep any of your promises. And Pete was sort of shocked. He was really? like, what? Really? Um, but that is very real sense. And you can see it uh, across the polling, across a lot of demographic groups. I mean, his numbers with young voters have plummeted like 30 percentage points, fallen off a cliff. So even people who are like the most loyal backers of the Democratic Party feel like, you know, we didn't just vote for you to get rid of Trump. We also thought that we were getting some actual, like, some fights, some material conditions of some some voting or something. And instead, you have just come up with excuse after excuse after excuse why you can never, ever get anything done and make things better. So I do think it's a different moment politically than it was last time around. And we'll see if, you know, if ultimately she's able to capitalize on that. But it would be wonderful to see. Indeed. Indeed. All right, guys, we love you. Uh, Everybody who supports the show, thank you so much for supporting the show. You mean the world to us. We couldn't do it without you. As you all know, we take absolutely no money uh, from corporations for this show, no ad money. So it's just all funded by you guys. So again, thank you to everybody who does that. And for those of you who don't, please consider it. We'd love you too very much. You can, um, you know, go ahead to substack.com and pay $5 a month and that gets you the video of the show a day early. And for the rest of you who don't want to do that, of course, you get the audio podcast for free. It comes out a day later. But anyway, we love you guys and we'll talk to you soon. Love y'all. See you next week.